This is Top Landing Gear. Hello and welcome to Top Landing Gear and a completely brand spanking new episode. In the previous episode, we cast a fond look back at some of our favourite interviews from the first three series. But now we've actually bothered to pick a new subject and a highly relevant one at that. 2022 marks the 40th anniversary of the Falklands War. So we're devoting a couple of episodes to some of the most remarkable stories to have come out of that conflict. In Series 2, we covered the Harrier and Sea Harrier operations in the Falklands with the author of Harrier 809, Roland White. In this episode, we're focusing on what has arguably become the most famous mission of all during the Falklands, certainly from an aviation point of view, the Black Buck raids. In particular, Black Buck 1, flown by our very special guest aboard Vulcan XM607, Martin Withers. We'll introduce Martin a little later, but first of all, I'd like to introduce the top landing gear team. Someone who knows all about Withers, certainly in a horsey sense. Our historian and quick facts compiler, but more pertinently, equestrian fencer. Do you see <laughs> my brother, Jez Curling? Hello, everyone. Wow. Hello, Jez. Hasn't got better. It's uh, <laughs> <has> got worse. <laughs> Serious so? four. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Probably time to move. Horses makes me think of stables. And a more stable person you couldn't wish to meet, a really solid member of the team who knows everything there is to know about aviation and without whom this podcast would be even more pointless than it already is. Former RAF pilot, now with the airlines, it's our very dear and valued friend, James Carter. Good, good afternoon, evening. Good evening. Hello, wherever you are. That was a nice intro. That was the best was, one yet. Yeah. 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 I thought yeah. you were going to say Roy Strike. Yeah, I know. No, what, no, no. What's coming? Well, <laughs> Jez and James may not be much to look at, but we do have a bit of showbiz glamour amongst the four of us. We'll come on to me in a moment. <laughs> uh, oh, no. But first, <laughs> first, let's hear it for indie pop legend, singer-songwriter with a band Scouting for Girls and Microlite student pilot Roy Stride. Hello, hello. It's like a best man speech. It's like, <laughs> given, really given by one of your really good friends, yeah. so you're really willing it to be good. And, and over. it is funny and over. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, continually managing to avoid the Temptations of Botox and collagen, and yet still looking a million dollars. <laughs> You'll drink anything, wouldn't you? I will, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Former star of the silver screen, silver haired, silver tongued, and metal kneed, me, Rob Curley. Hey, Hello, man. everybody. Hello. It's lovely to be together again. Isn't it great? Yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, how's everybody? <laughs> Very good. Good. Been yeah, busy? Not bad. Been flying, Roy? No, but I've got, I've got, uh, my instructor <clears throat> finally sent him a message when I got back from LA going, I'm ready to go. And he goes, I'm getting married and going on honeymoon. <laughs> so uh, two weeks' time, I should be flying. Great. Yeah. Amazing. Great. Yeah. In the old Icarus. And Jimbo, doing much? Yeah, well, my, my sort of flying roster's back up to almost pre-pandemic levels, which is good. And all the flights are full. Um, yeah, I've um, heard that from people who've been flying. Yeah. The flights are much fuller than they would yes, be normally. Because there are still fewer flights, but more a, people a few, are yeah, A bit fewer, but also people have been waiting so long to fly that now things are, are open much more than they were and the last holiday we had, yeah, um, it, it seems to have gone crazy this, in the last uh, few weeks. Good, so, um, good in many ways. Good yeah. in many ways. Um, yeah. I've also been sitting on a digger, telling you I was Jez. Oh, really? Uh, building an extension in the house. Oh, this is after you knocked down your conservatory. After I knocked down the conservatory, yeah. I'm now going to build, dig a hole, put a new building bit in there. And yeah. I do. I had a funny story which I have to tell you now. So I obviously when we'll be the judge of that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think our listeners will be the judge of that. Yeah. By the way, they leave in droves. Um, I was on a flight. Obviously, I sort of chat about the podcast to all the crew in it. And, Good man. Um, I well got one of, the, one, of the, one of the cabin crew was listening to it, and she came out. And she goes, "That theme tune you've got, that's the Corona song, isn't it?" So what? The theme tune is isn't that that Corona song? <laughs> I don't want to be Corona. What's <laughs> <laughs> the theme tune? What? She thinks grown up. Oh, we oh, oh. Corona. <laughs> she thought it was a lockdown. Roy, you've so, got wow. to enunciate better in your singing. <laughs> I will do. 
I'm going to play that on dance. I wish I'd known. Yeah. Oh, I really wish I'd brilliant. known. I could have... Could have made a fortune during lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that'd be another one, yeah. I never know. Isn't that right. great? Well, Jez, have you been up to much? Bit of fencing? I have. Sorry, I'm just looking through my Vulcan book. That's all right. I have been fencing. I've been driving diggers. I've been in Cornwall. Thank you very much. And I've spent a couple of days in the garden at home trying to do some bits and pieces. So, yeah, well, very busy. Right. You're looking at your Vulcan book because today is our Vulcan special. Yes. Have you not been doing your revision? I am doing additional revision. (laughs) (laughs) On top of the not very much I've already done. Well, yeah, because we need your quick facts, which will be coming up later, as well as, of course, uh, we've got Ask James coming up in a minute. And at the end of the show, our immensely popular top landing gear quiz. Um, (laughs) So have any questions come in? For, for James. Well, there were a couple of incidents which have been, well, people have asked me about. Yes. There's the, the BA the, pilot yes. who, was, who wasn't really a real pilot. Well, he was, I think he was a pilot, but he, his hours weren't what he said they were. No. And normally to get the job he had, you would need more hours. So I think he'd had the legal licenses from what I understand. Yeah. Is this you being autobiographical <laughs> and mysterious? <laughs> I must say, when I did get my license, because I didn't feel that this military conversion at the time was quite easy to do. And this license appeared in the post, and I was like, is that it? I can now fly really big aeroplanes. From having flown <laughs> helicopters. Having flown helicopters for the last sort of 14 years. And I was like, hmm. And the old imposter syndrome does kick in when you get your license. Really? So, Am I allowed to keep this, this in the, the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> but then since then, I've gained a lot of experience, and I'm very, very competent, some might say. But apparently the, one of the... Um, Things that flagged up whether he was really fully qualified, and the, was was this headline saying he pressed a button that no qualified <laughs> pilot would have pressed. What was this button? Do this, you imagine? I, I also saw that headline, and this has been bugging me for a while. <laughs> and I was trying to work you out what, 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 this button, what button it was. And the, the one that immediately sprung to mind was the cabin crew call bell, because <laughs> that, that could get you in trouble, you know, depending on, depending on what, what cabin crew you got in the time. Um, and then some, so I asked the question on my fleet. And is there a button that says, do not press <laughs> this button? <laughs> no, because every button has a reason to be pressed at some point. Right. It's just when you press the button. Uh, right. And so, for example, on, on the triple, the, the one I think that most people would say is, is the rat extension button. So the rat is a thing called a ram air turbine. Oh, yeah. And mm. it's a, a little turbine that pops out into the airflow yep. when your engines fail. Yep. When all the engines have failed, you lose your hydraulics and electrics. Vulcan had one of them. The Vulcan did have one. In my facts. Well done. And so if you deployed the rat, for example, on the ground, yeah. that would no pilot would ever do right. that. Okay. So that was the one I was thinking. I then did some digging into this story. Yeah. And apparently it, it appears he'd started the APU and he didn't need to start the APU, which is the auxiliary power unit, a little engine in the tail, which keeps all the electrics running when you're on the ground. And rather than turn it off by especially by turning the off button, yeah. he pressed the emergency destruct on the um, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the equivalent on the Embraer, <laughs> Embraer, whatever the equivalent, the emergency oh, yeah. shutdown button, yeah. which then renders it inoperative, and the, the, the engineers have to come out and fix it. Oh, right. So I understand okay. that was the button that he pressed, and that's how we got found out because the engineers. Had and then to come the engineers, out. Yeah. and then people start asking questions. So yeah. why did he press this? And I think. Well, there'd been other stuff going on behind the scenes. He'd upset yeah. a couple of people, and they said, "I'm not sure he is who he says he is." Oh, and um, so, that, was he it. a complete fraud? No, he had a license. He'd flown for other airlines. Yeah, but um, there was all sorts of there was, uh, from what I understand, there were things going on behind the scenes that people had upset other people, and he had basically bolstered his hours. Right. Um, my, my on this particular aircraft. Well, on, on, other, on, on, on yeah. previous previous jobs, he said right. he'd done a lot more flying. Remember, my father used to talk about it in in um, an island he used to operate out of the Bahamas. When they, he said a lot of the, the pilots had what they called Parker P fifty one time, <laughs> which was just time they'd written in with a pen and then never actually flown. <laughs> 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 uh, and that, that's what it was—a bit of P fifty one time that he'd uh, he'd accumulated, where he'd just written in some hours, um, just to em- yeah. embellish his. CV. And what's happened to this guy? I'm, he's I'm, in prison. He's gone to prison. Yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah. Wow. Uh, this is the the, the 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 thing about licensing is taken very very seriously. Now. I mean, licensing and, and jobs <laughs> yeah. now, yeah. and um, and if you do, you know, do anything fraudulently with an airline license, you're liable for. To, to I think we're bath. all quite pleased about that. Probably, probably, yeah. 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 It's probably better that as than, a than the other way. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. And the other rather curious story, I think it was an EasyJet flight mm. out of Luton, um, heading down through Europe. It was on it, time. <laughs> <laughs> Happened at all. 
Actually, if anyone's getting, if anyone's getting hammered for that at the moment, it's BA that seem to be going through well for everything at the moment. We've had BA flight cancelled. Our first. Well, that's happening a lot. Yeah. Flight cancelled up to Aberdeen, which is annoying. Yeah, not your flight to LA though. No, no. I think all airlines are struggling with it. Yeah, that was that was rammed actually, but it was good. And the airport, it was nice to see the airports busy again. Mm, Obviously, yeah. now, because we're under the Gatwick flight path mm. right here, because they've opened the Southern Terminal now, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, I flew out of Gatwick and it was buzzing. The yeah. Southern Terminal was buzzing. Are you still, still have to wear masks? Is that not, still, in the, not in the airport no. anymore, no. In the not, aircraft? Not yes. in the UK. When you get to LA, then it's all masks. But the problem, the problem is, whatever destination you're going to, if you have to wear masks at that destination, then you have to wear masks for the entire flight there and back. Oh, which really? yeah. people are finding quite rightly confusing, I'd say. So you don't know you need a mask. You get on the airplane, as soon as the door's closed, you supposedly have to put a mask on. Well, and did you have to wear a mask all the way to LA? Yeah, all the way. And they, and they all enforced the way back. it. Yeah, yeah, and they did, yeah. They, they're a bit laxer coming back. but Lax, on the way out, that is LA, isn't it? The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but on the way lax, there, it lax was like... Lax. Yeah, sleeping. As long as you, if you weren't eating, you yeah. had to have your mask on. Uh, that's, I'd be right. But yeah. I just well I eat it all the entire way. Or sleeping. I don't sleep. Really. I can't sleep in an aircraft. But James, you've told us before about these HEPA filters mm-hmm. in aircraft, where which means that the air actually is cleaner in an aircraft than almost anywhere else. Yeah. So in fact, doesn't that make the mask redundant wearing a face? I mean, some might say that I couldn't possibly comment. No, I mean people question the yeah, it's um, value of wearing one anyway. Exactly. You know, we have to. S- the, the thing being, you know, obviously it's okay in the UK. If you're in a UK internal flight, you're in the same tube, if you like. Yeah. You're, going to, uh, you're landing in the UK. If you, get, if, if you fly to Antigua, you don't need one. If you fly to St. Lucia... What, on the aircraft? Or? On the aircraft, you don't, because Antigua are, um, are mask-free. That probably doesn't affect 99.9% no, of the population. What I'm saying is... <laughs> you aren't flying is to the, Antigua. The, the, it's a great excuse to go. The, there, yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah. the problem with the whole enforcing the law is if you fly from London to Antigua, you don't need a mask. If you fly from London to St. Lucia, you do need a mask. You're going almost the same distance in the same aeroplane, yeah. but one rules... So, yeah. so yeah. whether you're protecting anybody, it's very much down to having to abide by the uh, the rules of the... The destination. The destination. Yeah. Isn't it peculiar? Mm-hmm. But the, yeah, this flight, I think it was EasyJet, might have been Ryanair, but mm-hmm. it's one, one or the other. I always yeah. get them slightly mixed mm-hmm. up. And um, heading over Europe, and, and one of the pilots dislocated his shoulder. James, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you seem well, to know, okay. well, all seem I can to know say the background, do you? It's the only reason I could see that happening would be in the bunk, to be honest. Oh, right. But he wouldn't be in the Oh. Well, I don't think they have bunks on um, on, on A320s. Uh, no. So, so I don't know what, what you'd you be doing that would toss your shoulder out that badly. <laughs> uh, unless he was turning in his seat rapidly to look behind him. Also, I don't know. It's, it's just, it, I still haven't found out how it happened. You, you've got to let us know. You've got yeah. to find out. Yeah. You've got to dig Isn't that deeper, on P. Prune? It probably will be. Yeah. I haven't yeah. looked at P. Prune for a couple of days because um, I've been busy. Missing my son's birthday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's nice. Happy, happy, happy birthday! Happy birthday, birthday. got to yeah. So, send us some questions for James. Yes, yeah. for the series, series four. Anything you like, please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we've always got plenty of our own. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'd love we'd love to get yours as well. So, shall we move on then? So, before we hear um, a clip of our interview with Martin Withers, let's turn our attention to this episode's central subject: the Avro Vulcan. And who better to give us the rundown on this iconic aircraft than one of its greatest devotees? It's Jez with Jez's Quick Facts. Well, here we go then. First of the series. They haven't got any shorter. Uh, and I haven't practised these, so let's see how they sound. Do you usually practise them? Well, I just like to sound read them it. through. <laughs> I have, just to make set the scene a bit more, I have um, brought with me the present that Roy gave us, uh, or gave me in the last episode. Uh, which is the little... Uh, do we know what this is, James? Yep. What is it? <laughs> it's a, um, a cycles per second meter from the electronic panel of a Vulcan. Yes. So I've got wow. that to just to make myself, myself feel a little bit more Vulcan-y. <laughs> so I'm going to watch that whilst I'm reading these, which way they won't make any sense. Good luck, Jeff. Here we go. We're behind you. The Vulcan came into being as a result of Air Ministry Specification B3546, issued in 1947, which in itself is amazing. Mm. Its requirement being for an aircraft with the ability to carry a 20,000-pound bo- bomb load at high altitude to a target in the Soviet Union. 
Upon receipt of the specification Avro, Technical Director Roy Chadwick and Chief Designer Stuart Davis began design of the Avro 698. The Avro 698 Delta-winged Strategic Blommer flew for the first time on the 30th of August 1952, with the besuited test pilot Roly Falk alone at the controls. He later, of course, famously barrel-rolled the aircraft at the Farnborough Air Show. A number of scale aircraft, such as the Type 707, were built to test and refine the delta-wing design principles before further testing, design tweaks and engine development led to the first two production aircraft, now named the Vulcan B-1, being delivered to the RAF's 23 OCU in late 1956. B-2 Vulcans came into service in 1960. Now, the B-2 Vulcan featured more powerful Olympus 201-202 engines and ultimately the 301 power plant along with a larger wing, improved electrical system, uprated electronic countermeasures, terrain following radar and the Ram Rat air turbine. Now, the Vulcan was part of the RAF's trio of V-Force nuclear deterrent aircraft during the Cold War along with the Valiant and Victor. Now, the Vulcan originally carried the American Blue Danube gravity bomb and eventually the Blue Steel rocket-powered nuclear missile. From 1962 onwards, two jets in every RAF bomber base were armed with nuclear weapons and on standby permanently under the principle of Quick Reaction Alert, QRA. Vulcans on QRA were to be airborne within four minutes of receiving an alert as this was identified as the amount of time between warning of a Russian nuclear strike being launched and it's arriving in Britain. Uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis in October 1962 is thankfully the closest the Vulcan ever came to fulfilling its role as a nuclear bomber. In its role as a conventional bomber, it was able to carry 21 1,000-pound iron bombs. It is something of an irony that it was in this configuration that it carried out its only missions flown in anger when it was used to full effect on Operation Black Buck during the Falklands War in 1982. The Vulcan carried no defensive weapons and relied entirely upon its high altitude to avoid interception and although its electronic countermeasures were improved over time, it remained vulnerable to air attack. A change to low-level tactics, high-low-high, uh, that's flying out high, dropping down to low level and then flying high again uh, to make its uh, bomb run, was made in the mid-1960s but eventually Britain's airborne nuclear deterrent role became obsolete as the Royal Navy took on the role full-time in 1970 with the Polaris submarines. The Vulcan did retain a tactical nuclear strike role as part of our NATO commitments for a little while longer. Operation Black Buck was really the last hurrah for the Vulcan and despite its reconnaissance and refueling roles, it reached its final retirement in 1984. Except, as we know, that is not quite the end of the story. Whilst various aircraft were dispersed to museums and collections around the world, Two airframes, XL-426 and XH-558, remained airworthy and formed the Vulcan display fight, which continued until 1992. XH-558 was bought in 1993 by C. Walton Limited, who use it for ground-based displays at their Bruntingthorpe Aerodrome until 1999. And then through a combination of public donations and lottery funding, it was restored to airworthy condition by the Vulcan to the Sky Trust, who returned it to flight on the 18th of October 2007 and the donations required to reach that point totaled six and a half million pounds. It recommenced its displayed career in 2008, funded by continuing donations to assist the two million pound a year running costs, and made its very last flight, sadly, in October 2015. Its future looks a little uncertain, and plans to rehouse her in a purpose-built facility at Robin Hood Airport look unlikely to proceed. 136 Vulcans were built between 1952 and 1965, and I would love dearly to have seen them all fly. That was amazing. There's so much. I mean, it was a nightmare trying to decipher mm. or to choose what to put in because there's so much stuff. Yeah. Um, I think you got know, it all in. Outlying and, and so more detail. Olympus engines. Olympus the engines. Same as Concord. Yes, but in fact they... But they weren't reheat, so it couldn't go supersonic. Could it? It no, but I think they did... No, they couldn't... It, in fact, it became quite unstable at supersonic speeds, the Vulcan, so it was a subsonic aircraft. And at low level, it was also very unstable, which is one of the reasons that doing this low-high, a high-low-high mm. um, for its bombing runs was also... I think they were doubtful that would ever work. Um, but uh, I think they did piggyback... Uh, a reheat 
Concorde engine when they were when they were testing the the Concorde engines uh, yeah, onto a, a Vulcan, yeah. um, and and fired it up. I don't think it was actually in the in the wing stems, but I think it was. It was underneath the body. I, I remember like, yeah. seeing it at Farnborough. Yeah. yeah. Oh right. Absolutely yeah. Right. I think it was underneath yeah. the aircraft. So yeah, that was the same engines. Amazing. Really? What a beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And how long after it was Roy Chadwick, wasn't it, who designed it? Roy Chadwick was the 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 chief technician at. Avro at that time, right? And Stuart Mills was the chief designer. Oh, okay. So I think, but there's famously, and you can look this up anywhere. Um, famously, there are there's a sketch of Chadwick's first designs, uh, and it's a prop, you know, it's literally just a sort of scribble. Yeah. And it is this sort of delta. This is tri- the tin triangles. Yeah. known as it, and yeah. it is just a triangle, and lots of sort of little notes, and then out of that eventually, you know, and the the first prototypes were. Uh, I think, as I said, were, were sort of slightly... The Avro 707. 707 was, the, were, were scaled down. Yeah. They did also build another one, uh, or they did commission another one, which never actually built, I don't yeah. think. So it was the 707 was the one that first flew with the with the very, the very straight wings, yeah. but it was scaled down. And that's what I think was what the one that really fought barrel rolled. And then it was after that that they scaled them back up yeah. and to test the delta wing design. And then I think the B1s, I think, I may be wrong, B1s had the straighter edge, uh, wing the B uh, the B twos um, the later ones they're slightly read slightly I more think B ones did as well I did think the, I yeah. think because I always thought that was the difference but I think some of the later the early B ones only had the very straight wing and then yeah. that caused problems at various speeds so they yeah. then had this shaped wing a bit like you see on Concorde yeah which I think was also on the later B ones and you're right the B twos but going back to Chadwick he was the man who designed the Lancaster of yes. course I don't think he lived to see the Vulcan flight sadly no but the gap between the Lancaster and the Vulcan is really small yeah. in, in terms of time well, isn't the, it the design specification was issued by the air ministry for a nuclear deterrent bomber in 1946 so one year after the war yeah i think there was some some design thing like 101 mm-hmm. yeah. and then they issued b3546 in 1947 um that was the air ministry specification and that was sent out to um handley page yeah uh vickers and um, Avro and maybe amongst others I don't yes. know now do you uh, think what they were told they had to all begin with V or because the first one began with V the other two had to well no be- I, that's a good question because the uh, they were the V force mm. for, mm. and I I, my, I can't remember why but Vickers and the Valiant were named thus but the the Vulcan wasn't originally called the Vulcan oh and is this going to spoil your quiz? No. Oh, good. <laughs> they, they, I, I'd written this down somewhere, actually. They had loads of different uh, names. They were at one point going to call it the Ottawa oh. because uh, Avro had a big presence in Canada. Right. And I think the Canadian arm of uh, of Avro had a big part to play in the development of the yeah. what's now called the Vulcan. So it wasn't actually called the Vulcan, and I don't think until nineteen until it was actually de- de- first sent out in 1960 or 62. But before that. Yeah, late fifties. Late fifties, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When they got the memo, the V when, memo. Yeah, yeah, the V, yeah, yeah. The v <laughs> memo. Right. Um, and I have got some notes in that summer, but uh, yes, so it was, it was, it had various names were put forward mm. uh, before it became the Vulcan. Yeah, but there's just that the extraordinary gap, mm. tiny gap, a matter yes, of five yeah. or six years yeah. between the Lancaster, yeah. which what first was in forty one, forty two, whatever. And then the design for the Vulcan by the yeah. same man. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't have looked, they couldn't have looked more different, no. could they? No, I mean, it's incredible. And then, and, and I know we're doing a, a, a an interview uh, around the, the jet engine and, and Frank Whittle. So, yes, you know, fracked all that in. Yeah. Um, it is amazing. And, and uh, you know, the, the two aircraft could not be more different. No. Yeah. The things which I've listened to, I've just listened to a podcast series done by the Vulcan in, Into the Sky Trust. Yeah. There's only four. Four episodes on there. They they did it last year and they interviewed different Vulcan pilots. And they were saying that a Lancaster pilot would definitely be able to recognise the Vulcan and probably fly it. Apart from it's a jet engine. They weren't that too... Well, from the the flight deck. Yeah, from the flight deck. Isn't that interesting? Because the Vulcan was supposed to be designed to be flown single seat. Yes. Um, And then, which is kind of the same as the Lancaster, really. Yeah. It's a single pilot, but then the other other pilot pops up beside him. And it seems the Vulcan was almost the same. Well, it was the same. Yeah. It was the same. And then you, they sort of strapped on another pilot to make it a 
a two-pilot aircraft. Yeah. It originally had a wheel, didn't it? Mm. I'm, I'm not sure what the correct term for that yeah, is. Yeah, but that's sort yeah, of the yeah, figure of eight, yeah. which I think was in the early B1 that Rody Fort flew and rolled, and he suggested it should be changed for a fighter-type joystick. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a crew of five, wasn't it, in the Vulcan? Uh, and seven in a Lancaster, mm. wasn't mm. it, generally speaking? But obviously, no, the Lancaster had no um, defensive... No. Capability, so that was all air electronics officers and navigators no, the, the, and nav. The Lancaster, sorry, the the Vulcan had no uh, defensive yeah. capabilities other than its um, weaponry. That just yeah, was exactly. Its air electronics, yeah. countermeasures and things like that. But yeah, in the interview I just listened to about the pilot, said you could tell a Vulcan pilot because they had like a crick in their head. <laughs> yeah. because they were either so you know, they had to just turn their head to the side or yeah. if they were the, you know you could tell which was the, the co-pilot yeah. and which was the captain yeah. depending on which uh, way their head was cricked that was I, the, the upgrade course was just clicking their yeah. neck over the other side <laughs> I'm asking a stupid question here which I feel is my job never such a thing so why was the Delta Wing so good oh. and well, why so, do we not use Delta Wings anymore so Delta Wing is is, is at its best, um, and high-speed flight. Right. So it doesn't fly very well at slow speed. This is why Concorde used to have to come down with an angle of attack of about 25 degrees. Yeah. And they had to have the droop the nose so you could see out. Yeah. Delta Wing is great for high-speed flight. Yeah. But then when you want to, say, you want to slow down, it, it's a pain in the backside. Right. Okay. But actually, we do have to... I mean, the Eurofighter is well, essentially yes, exactly. Delta yeah. Wing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Although yeah. it has these yeah. canards, <clears throat> and then the Vigan and... Yeah, yeah. I think it's still. But you say they're all they're thing, all fighter type things. Yeah, so they're yeah, all they're all yeah. optimized for high speed. Yeah, uh, and uh, again, it's particularly with newer aircraft, the computers make them fly. Yeah, uh, at at the slower speeds. Yeah, because they don't want to fly. No, <laughs> well, no. and the Vulcan, the Vulcan's design was in was its inherent strength in the end, wasn't it? Mm. Because the um, the Valiant basically fell apart. Mm. Yes, the Valiant's problem was. It was when they was low low level flight is when it well, really both, both stresses the, Valiant, the aircraft. From what I understand, right? both the Valiant and the um, Victor yeah. were not good at low level flight. No, and that was the way the only because way they, they weren't designed for no, that. Exactly, they were all designed as high high, yeah. high level bombers. Yeah. Then old um, Powers got shot out of the sky at sixty odd thousand feet. Oh, that's right. And they said, "Hang on, the Russian missiles go a bit higher than we thought they did." <laughs> well, so hence, the, hence the the high low yeah, high. So thing. the only way we're going to get in is low level. So then they tried to put all of them down at low level, and the only one that managed with any degree of, of, of ability, I understand, was the Vulcan. Mm. Uh, and the, the Valiant just shook itself to pieces. Yeah. And the Victor had issues. It was, it was okay. I think that as a high-level bomber, from what I understand, the Victor was a better aircraft Gosh. than the Vulcan. But it couldn't do the high and low bit. Yeah. Um, and that's a very brave thing to say in this crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, that's brilliant. That. Thanks. Good good chat about the Vulcan. Lots of stuff there I didn't know. So let's move on to our guest, who is arguably the Vulcan's most famous pilot, the man who 40 years ago flew Vulcan XM607 on the first Black Buck raid on the airfield at Port Stanley during the Falklands conflict. It was an incredible undertaking and marked at the time the longest distance bombing raid of all time. I'm talking, of course, about Martin Withers, and here's just a clip of his interview with us. I could see the airfield ahead, um, and it all still to this day, it would seem so strange to be coming in, and the fact in a few seconds we were actually going to drop bombs on this And place. the airfield was lit up as in peacetime? Was uh, it, there were lights on. Yeah. No, it wasn't sort of operating lights, because no. there were no flying going in and out, but the, there were lights on, yeah. so we could, they weren't blackout. Mm. And then... Uh, I say just steady, steady. Maybe I can't remember. I think that yeah, the radar would be talking to me, but sometimes he would put something in, and then he would. I wouldn't take it out until he said take it out. And Martin, you were flying in at th about was it thirty-five degrees to the to the straight line of the runway to to make sure you're yeah obliquely crossing the right. We're all on track because this is the other thing. That's right, it's not wasn't just a matter of we had to be on the attack track, but we managed to achieve that. The, the craters show the line, really, yeah? yeah. And the reason for that was it, the runway is only about 150 feet wide. A Vulcan wingspan is 110 feet. <laughs> so it gives you a perspective. Um, and uh, the, if you just try and... I mean, I've, I've still got somewhere at home in a trunk 
a photograph from the sun which shows craters all the way down the runway, you know, that uh, wonderful. But you only have to be a, you know, a few feet out and yeah. they all go off down the side of the runway. Mm. Um, going um, at, at diagonally, then if it's 150 feet that way, it's you've got a little bit more, about 160 feet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, with an angle. So you've just got that little bit of extra. Mm. Uh, and the spacing between the bombs is something like two seconds let's say, 100 feet separation uh, between the, the bombs. So mm. if you've got two on the runway, it would imply almost that you were leaving a, a hole in the centre. Yeah. You know, So getting one would have been nearer the centre of the runway. Yeah. And all the bombs went off okay? They all dropped off, all right. They all dropped yeah. off. Yeah. But interesting enough, there are only 16 big craters. <laughs> oh. Uh, the first one, uh, it was the one on the runway. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> now, whether, whether that was the first bomb that came off or, or not, not sure, because the if, if you're bombing a runway, you're supposed to use um, very strong casings. You should do a machined casing uh, for these bombs. But because we um, had no longer got a conventional um, role, we, we got rid of all our bombs at Waddington. They were all we actually load them up in the Vulcan and threw them off in the down the sea. You know, we did <laughs> we did bombing runs and yeah. and uh, when there was no longer had a role for uh, conventional bombs, so they just were using whatever thousand powders they could get. They didn't differentiate between one that was going to uh, go for a runway or hard target oh. or not. And who in the crew, Martin, is actually bomb release? Who's actually releasing the bombs? Is it the nav radar? He, well, he doesn't actually press a button as such. He, this was done automatically in the sense he'd set it all up um, so, uh, to, to run down to the release point. Oh, right. And uh, it, it then goes off. And the, the, the way the bombs are released, actually, is incredible. It, that's, it's... It actually it, it's elect, it elect, done electrically, but they you have diff, there's a nine, thing called a ninety way because yeah. there are ninety different ninety different ways huh. of of dropping twenty one bombs. <laughs> you can drop them um, for sort of one off each carrier. Yeah. You can drop one off the front and the back at the same time. You can drop them. You and the way they did that, you had a, a big wooden board. <laughs> and you had little things you set actually physically ran up and if you want them all to go off you put all the lot to the top um, and then they would ripple down in an order to, to suit and they were actually falling down and making the sending off the me, the, the uh, message to uh, release those bombs gosh incredible and it was um, so anti and what's the for, what was the forward throw of those um of those bombs, from how far uh, from the runway were you when you when you released the uh, the bomb load at ten thousand feet? I don't know. Right, I don't know. It's some miles it, though. It, it equates to um, because the bomb just about um, lands underneath the aircraft. Um, if you're doing 300 knots or something, then the forward throw will be very different from maybe doing 400 knots. Mm. Um, just it, it's because you know it's the time it takes. Sure. Um, but I don't know what I don't know what figures we're talking about. No. Do, okay. do the physical flying characteristics of the aircraft change as the bombs are going? Do you, do you feel a difference? Does it feel lighter or anything, or is it exactly? The well, same? because they they ripple off evenly. You know, they go front back middle front back middle front back middle sort of thing um and there are seven on each carrier um so we just had three carriers the um no it doesn't make a difference are you aware as you're flying that the bombs are going i would say no right Hmm. but you're consciously trying to keep it absolutely level and uh so you, you would sort of Almost can't can't feel it. No, it's not an instrument rating test. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's extraordinary, is it? So you then know all the bombs are gone, and then you you turn north and think it's time to get out of there. 
just through full power, sort of, so I first learned to do aerobatic, not aerobatic, <laughs> display manoeuvres. So yeah. get, <laughs> get the hell out of there. Yeah. Was that planned before, or was that, once the bombs were on, that was just what you were doing? You were just getting yeah. out of there? Oh, would, no. no. Just, just let's get out of here. Yeah. However, you know. Um, so, uh, and I was just so relieved that I was still alive. You know, yeah, this was yeah. the other something I can remember. Yeah. Uh, uh, and this is when I actually got out of my seat and went down the bank and, and I'd slept for about four hours. So, wow. <laughs> and uh, so when I was talking to Sir Michael Beetham, the chief of air staff, debriefing him, um, I, I said, this, this had done, I'd gone down there back for sleep and he turned to his... Uh, Group captain aid, I think. Said, "Is the, is the captain a, a allowed to go down the back?" <laughs> the group captain said, "In the circumstances, I I think it's all right, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on with us." <laughs> <laughs> So that was just a clip of Martin Withers' fantastic interview with us. He gave us so much of his time that I think, Roy, we're going to divide up his full interview into two parts, aren't yeah. we? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. And the first of those will drop in our Full Flaps edition exactly a week after this episode goes to air. So as I always say, depending on when you're listening to this, it may well be there right now. In fact, both parts might be there ready and waiting for you. But do listen. It's, it's fantastic to hear from such a legend. Okay, everybody, you know what's happening now. We're getting towards the end of the programme, and that means the highlight. Doesn't it? Time to go. Not quite. (laughs) It's time for the Top Landing Gear Quiz. It's back. Which uh, features the Vulcan and the Falklands. So, Can I just ask a question? Your bell. Yes, my it bell. It still has the original label on it. Yes, it does. Do you to take it back to the shop? When if it does work. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. I do. I'm, uh, it, I, just, I often <laughs> thought that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't quite got around to taking it off yet. So, You're very busy though, aren't you? So. Yeah. Very, very busy compiling quizzes. Um, James, a buzzer for you? Yes. Um, well, I went for the obvious, if it's going to be a Vulcan, it has to be the Vulcan. Howl. Oh, well done. So I downloaded something that sounds a little bit a little bit like a Vulcan Howl. Good, let's hear like it. A blue well, a little bit like Chewbacca, but here we go. <laughs> that was something from a Vulcan, apparently. That's quite bizarre. <laughs> um, Jez, what about you? Well, I got something from an interview that suddenly occurred to me that was quite famous at the time. Uh, Robin Day and John Knott. Um, oh, who was the defence? Who was the defence secretary at the time? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it goes something like this: Rise of the public on this issue as regards the future of the Royal Navy. Believe you, a transient uh, here today, and if I may say so, gone tomorrow. <laughs> politicians, rather than a senior officer of many years. Yeah, and then he got up, unclipped his microphone very professionally, and walked out the and studio. Left. Yeah. He wasn't very happy. Very good. That's your buzzer. That's that's my buzzer because, uh, yes, that's all I can think of. What a great buzz. Um, Roy, I hope you've come (coughs) up with something slightly better. Uh, My my buzzer is uh, going to be sung by me uh, on the evening that the Black Butt operation actually took place. Yes. In 1982. Shalimar. Shalimar. (laughs) We're number 10. (laughs) Number 10. With I Can Make You Feel Vulcan. So, and unfortunately, I can't play. I can make you feel good. So, I'll be singing, I can make you feel Vulcan. <laughs> Do we have to pay you royalties every No, time you don't. No, and because I'm singing it, we don't have to pay Shalimar royalties either. <laughs> More well, importantly, I can't wait to hear this little lot. Good luck, everybody. Are you ready? Stand by. Mine's with you. quite good now. Buzzers. <laughs> yeah, it might. It might. Okay, here we go. Question number one. As the Vulcan fleet was rapidly approaching its retirement from RAF service in the early 80s, one country approached the UK to buy them up, or at least some of them. Which country? Yes, James. India. Incorrect, but I like I like what you're thinking. Why should the public on this issue? Yes, Jez. Brazil. Not Brazil. Why do you say that out of interest? I think it was a South American... Stop. I think it was a South American country. Do you? 
Okay. Um, Roy, do you want to st- uh, step in? No. Name a country in no, the world? Pakistan. Oh, not Pakistan. God, it's not Malaya, is it? It wasn't Malaya. Not- oh, you guys are so <laughs> cynical, aren't you? I mean, why would it be Malaya? <laughs> Malaya. Do you know where it is? Malaya. Argentina. Oh, oh it was as well. Yeah, it was Argentina. Uh, they were refused them, by the way, which yeah. is probably just as well. Yeah, that's something I hadn't realised, but there we go. Yeah. Okay, no points yet. Uh, question number two. The Black Puck raids were the last and only true combat missions involving the Vulcan, but the first overseas operational detachment for the Vulcan happened 24 years earlier when Vulcan B-1s were sent to a long-running trouble spot. Known as Operation Profiteer, where was this first overseas deployment for the Vulcan? Yes, Jess. Uh, I think it was the Indonesia-Malaya issue and they were sent to Singapore. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's not totally wrong, though, is it? It's not quite right. That's... You're saying Singapore, are you? Try a neighbouring country. Malaya. Malaya is the correct answer. (laughs) Well done. It was, in fact, Malaya. (laughs) Oh, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to step in. Well, you're That's here today and gone tomorrow, James. And yes. Frankly, no one's going to notice. <laughs> they were um, from 83 Squadron at Waddington. They went to RAAF Butterworth, which is just opposite Penang. Yes. And they were there from 1957, October 57, till June 1960, which is almost exactly the same period I was there. Was ah, yeah. Wow. So I was there when the Vulcans were there. Did you see them? I don't remember seeing them. I, I wish people could see the excitement on your face when you said that. Because <laughs> it really was quite endearing. It was... <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you very much indeed. Um, we've been hearing, in, we haven't heard it in anger yet, but James has played the Vulcan Howl. But what is the Vulcan Howl? And what creates it? There it is. Yes, Jimbo. The Vulcan Howl, I believe, is created when the engines go above about 92%. Oh, very good. Yeah. And it's the, 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 the base of the air coming out of the tailpipe hitting the back of the aircraft. You're actually wrong about that. I'm oh, going to okay. give you half a point. Jez thinks he knows it. Oh, that. Yes, Jez. Uh, it's actually the air entering the engines through the nacelles at the front and how it's drawn through the uh, engine intake. You're absolutely right. Very good. It's, it's going in through a square intake or an oblong intake and then being forced into a round engine, uh-huh. apparently, um, is what creates that howl at certain angles of attack and certain speeds, but around 90, 90%. So half of you, Jimbo, Jess gets a full point. What? He was absolutely, totally 100% yeah. right. He didn't mention 92%, did he? That's a very important what? 92% engine thrust limit mm. happens above. I think already we know that you're wrong. I think you're pushing it with half a point, to be honest. <laughs> well, I, I think that's being a bit generous, <laughs> yeah. but he's a dear friend of ours. Um, I, I read one headline about this, 100 kilos of air being sucked in through square intakes into round engines. Oh, 92%, obviously. Yeah, that's what it means. 100 it? kilos. So we know then that the Vulcan was powered by the Rolls-Royce Olympus turbojet, as Jez told us earlier. Which two other aircraft also had the Olympus and are generously offering a point for each? Yes, James. Concorde. Concorde for a point. And I'm going to have a... This is a world stab in the dark. Go on. TSR2. You're absolutely right, James. <laughs> well done. Very, very good. Yeah, the, the Olympus, well, they, there were two ones, three ones. Haven't heard Roy singing yet. No, I'm looking forward to it. He might get this okay. one. The Vulcan was used as an engine test bed, as we know, for, for the Concorde engine. It was also used as a test bed for the Rolls Royce RB199, which was to be used in which aircraft? Yes, Jess? The Boeing 707. No. Yes, James? Jumbo. Not the Jumbo. No, you're thinking the RB211, aren't you? No, the 199. Oh, the Trent. No. No. Think smaller. Think faster. Think uh, swingy-wingy. Think of a very fast wind. Typhoon. You've got a buzz. Yep. Typhoon. No, that doesn't have swing wings. Uh, I can make you feel lightning. Oh, neither does that. <laughs> All right. That's tornado. Tor- it is oh. the tornado, but you're too late. Well, I was buzzing. Yeah, it was your third gun. Yeah, was was just... <laughs> Carry on naming aircraft until you get one right with the engineer. At least yeah. don't name some. Well, I was letting Roy have a go. 
The moment he said swing wing, I knew, but I wanted Roy to sing. <laughs> okay, we've had the Vulcan howl. What exactly is the Vulcan death grip? The Vulcan death grip. Why should the public know this? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's what Dr. Spock did in um, Incorrect. Star Trek. He, he was an expert on children, Dr. Spock. Oh, Spock. Did Mr. In, Mr. Mr. Spock. Spock. I mean, any Star Trekky, non-Star Trekky, will know the difference. Spock did in Star Trek. It was his grip round the neck. I'll give you that. Well done. The death grip. There was also the nerve pinch, the Vulcan nerve pinch. Do you know what that is? No. Uh, that is actually the one on the neck. The the, the death grip is is when he grabs your face. Oh. But I, I'm going to so go. Are we talking about Star Trek now? Yeah. Oh, well, right. Okay. Right. We're sorry. talking about Vulcan. I thought we veered. Right. right okay. Right, should we get back onto yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the Vulcan aircraft? I think. Or we could do a Star Trek podcast and boy, I want to. Not the trickies. Right, next question. Which British bomber type did the Vulcan replace in RAF service? Any ideas? What was the bomber immediately re- preceding the Vulcan? Yes, I'm guessing as a Blenheim. <laughs> I think it's a point of way. Blenheim. That's a lovely idea. The way these replacement programs work, you know, <laughs> it takes a long while for them to get through. Yes, Jez. Is the camera? I'm going to give you half a point, actually, because the camera was around... But was uh, it the camera, though? Well, in, <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you half a point for the wrong answer. No, it's not a wrong answer, because actually you could... Well, it didn't replace it, the it didn't. It, it did take on some of the roles that the camera subsequently gave it up. It did some of the roles of the Blenheim. <laughs> <laughs> not Blue. immediately before, though. <laughs> no, not immediately before. But it was Quite still right, going at the You've same got time to listen to the, the question, camera, James. You've got to listen to the question. Was... Detail. <laughs> What was the answer, anyway? I do not know. I do not know. Just sing a song. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm disappointed with you, boys. It was the Avro Lincoln. Ah. Oh, the Lincoln. Yeah, which was the... Uh, or Canberra, as I which like was. <laughs> 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 the Lincoln was this kind of in between the Lancaster and the, and the Shackleton. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Okay, next question. How many Vulcans actually flew on the Black Buck Raids? Jesuit. I can make you feel oh, hello, seven Vulcan. I've actually written you down as Roger. Seven. 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 Um, yeah. It's a good shout, but it's it's wider the mark. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, James. Four. Four is your answer. Um, Jess, do you want to give your figure? Yes, Jess. Two. <laughs> you idiot. It's three. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've only read that in the book about 40 times. Yeah, exactly. This is your specialist subject. <laughs> also, James said four, so you only had to say three. Yeah, one. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, if points, well, there, one, there are points that should be I was be trying to be actually right. Definitely. I didn't Definitely. think about it. I'll thinking, tell you which they were, shall I? XM597 did buck, Black Buck 5 and 6. XM598 was on 1, 2, 5, 6 and 7. XM607, that was Martin Withers one, did Black Buck 1, obviously, mm. Black Buck 2 and Black Buck 7. Now, XM612, mm. the fourth, fourth one, was... <laughs> which flew on was, the mission. It, it didn't, flew. It didn't It fly. took off. It never took off. The mission was cancelled before takeoff due to bad weather. No, but it took that off was, as a reserve no, for Black Buck 3. No, it didn't. No, it, Black Buck 3 is correct, but it, and it was due to be the reserve. <laughs> the mission was cancelled before takeoff, specifically before takeoff. Good try, Jim. No, bad luck. Unlucky. point. It's as close as a Canberra to the blooming Lincoln. <laughs> well, it's not, is it? Because that <laughs> I, one got a point. Thought, no, I didn't. thought that was, uh, that was a pretty good effort. Um, okay, final question then uh, on, the, on the Vulcan. A number of Vulcans were... Uh, shall I just give you an up-to-date on the no, scores, just no, so okay. you know how close it is? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah? Yes? <laughs> oh, no, it's quite oh. close, isn't it? Yeah, I can't stop it. Well, if your name's not Roy Stride, <laughs> yeah. the quiz is quite close. Uh, a number of Vulcans were given new roles other than that of a bomber, and I think you mentioned this, Jerry, in your quick facts. In the mid-1970s, nine Vulcans were adapted for the first of these new roles... And following the Falklands, six other Vulcans were adapted for another role which they undertook until, as you said, Jess, 1984. What were these two the new roles? Yes, Jess. Reconnaissance and tanking. Absolutely right. Maritime radar reconnaissance, MRR, five aircraft, further modified, and the K2 tanker for air-to-air refuelling. That's two points. 
And that, <coughs> yes, James, is something you want to say? To be honest, if he'd well. only got half a point, it wouldn't have changed the result because the scores are in third place with zero points. <laughs> Because he knew and we I weren't going to play royalties for yeah. us singing. That's, that's, <laughs> I mean, the audience would have loved to have heard that. Bit of bit of Roy Stride solo, unaccompanied, a cappella. What? Whoever he is, is. <laughs> I don't know. So Roy zero in second place with two and a half. James Cartner, our aviation yeah. expert, but in first place with five and a half points, which must be, I think, one of a record score possibly, Just is me. our Vulcan expert and lover. <laughs> jazz curling well thank you thank you everyone well thank I'd you I'd like to say that was well deserved yeah I love but you're not going to I love the fact that you've left your children sick at home <laughs> just know. so you could win I've this literally quiz. been getting texts my wife who's on the way back from the theatre going <laughs> really? you have to get home now right okay Lottie, my daughter is dealing with your, your her brother's never sick find out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James yeah. has abandoned his boy on his 15th birthday yeah. I mean, your, the things we do for this podcast, though. My house has got no heating. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. It's just, yeah. You're all right, though, aren't you? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I fine. think our listeners should be very thankful how dedicated we are. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if they're still listening <laughs> as ever. At this can we time. go now, please? Yeah, yeah. we can go. Listen, thanks. Thanks, all, all of you here. And um, everyone who's still listening, thank you very much indeed. And do remember, you can hear our full-length interview with Martin Withers in our full Flaps editions. There'll be two of those. And the first one, as I say, drops a week after this episode, could well be there right now, depending on when you're listening to this. And if you'd like to listen to any or all of our podcasts so far, you'll find them all on our website, toplandinggear.com. We'll be back in a few weeks with another utterly fascinating account from the Falklands in this 40th anniversary year with Chris Parry, who was the Royal Navy Observer on Humphrey, the legendary Wessex 3, which operated off HMS Antrim and who fired the first shots of the war. There's also an extraordinary story about how they rescued a group of SAS soldiers in unimaginably extreme weather conditions from the Fortuna Glacier on South Georgia. So that's coming up in a few weeks, and we're also very excited to have secured an interview with no less a person than the son of Sir Frank Whittle, the inventor of the jet engine, to talk about his and his father's extraordinary lives and achievements in aviation. And do, of course, let us know anything or anyone you'd like us to feature, and we'll try and make it happen. Remember, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Top Landing Gear. And do, please, email us with your questions for our expert, James Cartner, Info at toplandinggear.com. That's info at toplandinggear.com. Two Gs. Two Gs. Don't forget the two Gs. And however you're listening to us, please recommend us to your friends and family and do leave a review if you've enjoyed it. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and bye for now. This is Top Landing Gear.